Hey, this is Josh Herrera, and I'm the pastor of Lighthouse Church North County, and this is our podcast. Wherever you are and however you are listening, I want to say thank you for tuning in to what we are teaching at Lighthouse. Our desire is that these messages would help you to fulfill your God-given potential. If this message impacts you, share it with someone you know. We are on this journey together, becoming more like Jesus, one day and one step at a time. Now here's today's message. We hope it blesses you. And we are going to get into part five. Look at your neighbor and say part five of increase. If you're like, well, what happened to parts one through four? It's on YouTube. All right, you can catch it there. Um, I don't want you to feel like, man, I'm coming in late. No, every sermon stands alone. Um, and, and what we have done is God gives me a word for every year. I, I pray, I say, God, what's your word for the year? Um, the word for 2020 was planning. I'm kidding. Um, because 2020 was like a mess. Anyway, uh, 2021, God spoke to me. And he gave me this word increase. And um, on the surface, it might feel like, well, what, what's so special about that? Um, what we call increase in the English language, in the Jewish, uh, in Hebrew, and in um, Greek and Aramaic, the three languages the Bible was written in, there are 40 different words for what we call increase. So we dived into that to understand what does this word mean and what is God trying to tell us through this word increase. So I'm excited to dive into it today. Go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I am going to be reading from the New King James Version. If you do not have a Bible or if you're not pulling that up on your device, no worries. We're going to get it up on the screens at this time, and it reads as follows. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. See, I'm telling you, I'm bringing you filet mignon next month, all right? Not milk. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there is envy, strife, and divisions among you, you are not carnal and behaving like mere men. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another says, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul? And who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the increase. Somebody say increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and you are God's building. For the next few moments, I want to talk to you on this thought. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. Would you join me as we pray now that God would anoint our time together as we consider the scriptures today. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the time that we have together. I'm so grateful for every person that has made it out here today. I'm so grateful for the heart of everyone on our dream team as they work so hard to prepare this house and just dealing with some of the crazy elements. But here we are, God. And Father, now that we are here, we need you to speak to us. We've not come to check a box or to pass the time away, but we've come to hear 
the voice of heaven. So now, God, I pray that we would block off every distraction. I pray, God, that the pressing matters of the urgent would fall to the important matter of your voice. I pray, God, that we would lean in and hear what your spirit is saying to the church today. And Father, I pray that when we walk from this place, Lord God, we would not walk away having just heard your word, but challenged to be doers of your word. We ask all this in your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clap your hands one last time as you may be seated. Christ is enough. You know, I joined Lighthouse Church in 2005. For some of you that are uh, just joining the church, just know that I too made a decision to join Lighthouse Church. That is when Lighthouse Church only had one campus and it was in the city of Chula Vista. And one of the things that I quickly discovered when I got to Lighthouse Church is the senior leader, the senior pastor, Pastor Sam, he talked a lot about his plum trees that he had in his backyard. And I, I just kind of leaned in listening as he would talk and he would use this sermon illustration of his plum trees in his backyard. And he had a good reason to. You see, he went to the nursery and he bought two plum trees and he had these plum trees planted in his backyard and he tended to them, watered them, fed them, everything that he knew that he needed to do so that they then would produce this beautiful fruit that he loves, plums. Well, what happened was year one came and there was no plums. Year two came and there was no plums. Year three came and there was no plums. So he's talking about this. This becomes great sermon content for the church because now we're three years in, right? We're hearing about his plum trees that apparently don't know how to grow fruit. And then he goes to the plum trees and he has a conversation with his trees because that's what I'm told you do. You talk to your plants. Any crazy plant people in the room? You're like, I talk. All right, okay. So apparently you talk to them. So Pastor Sam told us that he had a conversation with his plum trees after year three of not having produced anything. And he told them, this is it. At this time next year, if there is not a single plum on those branches, I'm cutting you down. And wouldn't you know what what happened in year four? A whole bunch of plums came. I kid you not. There were pictures. As a matter of fact, at the church, we celebrated with him. We shouted, we put the horn, we, we had the organ going, you know what I mean? Dancing music. I mean, we were so excited that there was finally some plums on his trees. However, however, something funny happened because that, 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 that in and of itself was a great sermon illustration, but it got even better because as the fruit finally began to grow on those trees, he noticed that on one tree, the fruit looked different than the other tree. He noticed that on one tree, as the plums were growing in, they were, they were shiny and they, they had that, that, that nice texture on the outside of the fruit. And then he went to the other tree and the fruit had fuzz on it. He looked expecting plums and he saw fuzz. And he, he was like, what in the world is going on with my plum tree? And, and so as time went on, eventually he realized that he had been sold a plum tree, but it was mislabeled. It was actually a peach tree. So he, he planted this tree fully expecting plums, but what he got was peaches. And this was before peaches was a cool song by Justin Bieber. So young kids in the room are tracking with me. All the adults are like, really? Um, and it made for, again, great sermon content that, that, that what he planted and what he tended to did not become what he expected. And as 
Funny as that is, that's exactly what is happening here in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, now let me set this up for you real quick so you understand the context. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is written by the apostle Paul. We call him the apostle because he pioneered churches. He would go into cities that did not have churches, and he would plant a church, what we call a church, in those cities. He went to a city called Corinth, and he planted a church in Corinth, and he stayed there for years building this group up, this, this group of Jesus followers, this group of early Jesus believers. He, he's there building them up, but eventually he gets called away because he's got this mandate on his life to plant churches. So he doesn't stay in one place too long. He's constantly on the road planting churches in Thessalonica, planting churches in Rome, planting churches in Ephesus. So he's just traveling Asia Minor, starting churches. Well, when he was away, and he was in the city of Ephesus pioneering a brand new church. He gets a letter and he gets a letter from his friends that are back in Corinth and they write this letter to him because the church of Corinth had turned into a hot mess. I mean, it got sticky. We did a sermon series at Lighthouse Church called Hot Mess. How many of y'all remember that? We talked about the church in Corinth because it was just a complete mess. And so when you read 1st and 2nd Corinthians, don't, don't process that, that God, don't process that epistle as Paul in Ephesus thinking to himself, you know, I miss the church in Corinth. I, I, I desire to say something to them. Let me write them a letter. No, 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 no. What the context of Corinthians is, it was so bad that they wrote a letter. The letter gets to them. They're like, Paul, this church is a mess. What do we do about this? And what do we do about this? And what do we do about this? There was all kinds of stuff happening. So what Paul does is he writes a letter back to them, not once, but twice. So, so, so that's the context of Corinthians. And I want you to get that because he planted that thing, but it was producing fruit that he didn't really love. Now, planting a church at this point in time, it really met a basic human need of belonging. Can you say belonging? One of the most basic needs that we have as humans is to belong. We do. We, we, we belong and we have a basic need to belong. And, and what happens is as you get older, you tend to find people that want to belong to the things that you like to belong to. So if you like to run, what do you do? You go find a run group, right? If you like to cycle, what do you do? You go find some cyclists. If, if, you, if you like to work on cars, you, you have friends that like to work on cars too. If you like to ride a Harley, then you go and find some people that have a Harley as well. Why do we do that? Because we like to belong. We, we want to find people that share our most basic human need, and we want to get around our people. We even say that, right? That's my people. They get me. Those are my people. My wife was telling me about how on Wednesday uh, she stopped by. Uh, she was doing a coffee shop run because I wasn't around. Whenever Pastor Josh is not around, she actually has to go and buy her coffee. When I'm around, I just make it for her, okay? Just, I have my own espresso machine. If you follow me on social media, you know, okay? My wife never goes without a good cup of coffee or an espresso. So I was here at church on Wednesday night, so unfortunately she had to go and buy coffee because she won't make it. She will buy it if I'm not around. 
that's neither here nor there. So, uh, but she's telling me that she saw a group of like my old friends when, when before my three little boys were very active, I would actually go and ride with people. I would actually ride with my people. You know, I don't have time for my people anymore. My people are my three kids and that's it. And they're so full of energy and they consume all of my time. I absolutely love it. But just know that, that we get to that point, right, where we say, my people. You want to get around your people. You want to be with people that have the same interests as you. But you got to understand that in the Bible times, belonging wasn't just meeting a human need. Belonging was necessary for survival because the early church was being heavily persecuted. The early church had to band together for their own survival. In Jerusalem, if you followed the teachings of Jesus, they would kill you. They would kill you. So belonging didn't just meet a basic human need, but they looked after one another as the church was underground. The church was underground just trying to survive. Now, there were other parts of the world like in Antioch. Antioch was another area where they had a little more religious freedom. So the church flourished in Antioch. And so depending on where the church was, that sense of belonging, it ebbed and it flowed. But at its most basic needs, it was satiating that human need. Now, now we read in the book of Acts, and I want to get the scripture up on the screen, what it was like as the early church began to belong. It reads as follows. Day after day, they met in the temple continuing with one mind and breaking bread in various private homes. They were eating their meals together with joy and generous hearts, praising God continually and having favor with all the people. And the Lord kept adding to their number, their little community, daily those who were being saved. And what I love about this is this was the church at its purest. This was the church who had just seen Jesus crucified, resurrected. Did you know that after Jesus resurrected from the grave, he walked around on earth for about 40 days, coming and going, appearing and, and showing himself? The Bible records that there were about 500 people that saw the resurrected Jesus. So when people say, come on, man, that stuff ain't real. That's like a glorified comment. But maybe I'd believe you if no one saw him, but not just one, not just two, but 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. That, that's what made it a movement. There was enough critical mass that saw him die, saw him crucified, and there he was. And there he was. So that's what really gave it the, the fuel that it needed for this to become a movement. And here in the book of Acts, it's talking about all the beautiful things that happened in the church because they belonged together. Now, if belonging meets a very basic human need, there's a very basic danger there's a very basic human danger that we will run into while we are trying to meet our basic human need of belonging, and that is called tribalism. Can you say the word tribal? I need you to get this because tribal is something that we as a nation are, are, are moving towards. The world is getting flat. I didn't say the earth, okay? I'm not one of those dudes. The world is getting flat, meaning because you can get Netflix anywhere and everywhere, um, little kids in other countries, people in other countries, they're learning to speak English because they can just watch Netflix, right? And, they're, and so the world is getting flat because what used to be, unless they can get a physical DVD into their hands, they were never going to watch what you were watching. Well, now they can just stream it. Now they have all the access to the same content that you have. And what it is doing, it is flattening the world. And it's actually a, a cultural phenomenon because as the world is flattening, so are accents. So it used to be that southern accents and eastern accents. And, you know, if you live on the east coast, if, if you lived in Boston, my 
God, you have an accent. Uh, what am I? One of, my, one of the guys that I absolutely just love, um, he, he's part of our South Campus team. He moved to San Diego from Boston. He still works in Boston. He, he's a fisherman, and he goes out there for weeks at a time fishing, and, 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 and he is one of the hardest working guys that I know, but, but I'm like, how do you live in San Diego? Well, when I got to go to work, I go to work for three weeks at a time. I, I get on a plane. I go, and then I go straight to the boat. We will go fish for two, three weeks at a time, and then I come home and I'm back in San Diego, and that's just the way he's done his life, but I love that Boston accent when I'm talking to him, you know what I'm saying, that, that Boston accent. Then you have the Southern accent, and, uh, but accents are starting to flatten as the world is flattening, but even though the world is flattening, you're starting to see a lot more tribalism in our culture. You're starting to see a lot more tribalism in our culture. It's at its worst with politics. Can I get a good amen on that? Don't matter what side you're on. Okay, I'm not picking sides today. I'm just saying, okay? Whatever side you're on, chances are you don't like people on the opposite side. What is that? Tribalism. Tribal. It, it used to be that I didn't have to agree with you, but I'd still love you. It used to be that I didn't have to agree with you, but I could still have lunch with you. It used to be that even if I didn't agree with you, we could still be friends. I mean, I have a lot of jokes that Salah and I say one to another as we would once upon a time jest upon political preferences and whatnot. And, and, but now it's like, you know, it's like, no, 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 don't be talking politics at Thanksgiving. You're going to wreck the whole dinner, okay? We're just not going to go there. It's an election year. Don't go there, right? And, and so I think tribalism is at its worst when you get into politics. Now, I say all that to get to this point here. The church that was once united, as we talk about the book of Acts church, I gave you that little runway there. The church that was once united, meeting in houses with joy and generous hearts, it was replaced by tribalism. At least the church in Corinth was. The church that was united, the church that God was adding to daily, you get to the book of Corinth and we read, oh no, they went and got tribal. And they got tribal by who their favorite teacher was. So you had one group that said, I roll with Paul. Paul's my man. Paul started the church. That's my teacher. That's my dude. I hang around with other people who are Pauline. I hang around with people who follow the teachings of Paul. And then you had other people saying, nah, 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 nah. Apollos is my dude. Apollos is my guy. I roll with Apollos. And what was happening in the early church was the people that followed Paul and the people that followed Apollos, they were at opposition with one another. It got so bad. Listen, it wasn't just like, oh, it couldn't have been that bad. No, Paul said there's envy, there's strife, and there's divisions. Okay, does that sound like we just have a favorite teacher? No, 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 no. This was tribalism in the church. Now, I started asking myself, how in the world does a church get to this place? How does a church that was sharing everything, eating together, protecting one another, making sure that nobody went lacking anything, how did they get to this place of tribalism? Well, it comes back to this belief that Christ was not enough. It comes back to this belief that Christ was not enough. Let me explain it this way. In the early church, those that had walked with Jesus, they had a front row seat. They had a front row chair to all the miracles and the signs and the wonders that Jesus did. Jesus would walk into a city and when people were blind, he would just touch their eyes or he would make mud out of the, out of the dirt of the ground, put it on their eyes and they would see again. He would go to someone that wasn't able to speak and he would command that that mute that dumb spirit come off of that kid and all of a sudden that kid would start to talk again there was a woman who had an 
issue of blood and for 12 years would not stop hemorrhaging blood. She just touched the hem of his garment and when she touched the hem of his garment, suddenly the flow of blood stopped. There was a man by the name of Lazarus and he was a person that Jesus deeply loved, deeply cared for and he was sick and eventually died. Jesus loved him so much. He said, where did they bury him? I'm gonna resurrect that guy. Walked into the tomb, said Lazarus comes forth and Lazarus came out of the grave. Now imagine you had a front row seat to all of that. Are you going to be fighting over who your favorite teacher is? Does it even matter who your teacher is? No, because they are talking about the guy that you had a chance to see. But days would go by. Months would go by. Now he's up in heaven and years have gone by. And now people are converting to this message, but they didn't have a front row seat to the miracles of Jesus. People didn't see him raise the dead. People didn't see him make blind eyes see. People didn't see him make deaf ears open. And as that happened, they began to become tribal. It wasn't just that they had Christ, but it was we have Christ and who's our favorite teacher? Because they needed something that they could touch. They needed someone that they could identify with. They needed someone that they can say, my God, Apollos is a powerful preacher. And if you learned, some of you are like, who in the world was Apollos? He was, not one of the, he was not one of the 12 disciples, but yet he was a very smart man. He was actually a disciple of John, John the Baptist, who was the cousin of Jesus. He was one of John's disciples who had been baptizing people unto repentance. But a couple of sisters in the church by the name of Priscilla and Aquila, they got a hold of Apollos and they said, let me teach you a little more about this man named Jesus. And the Bible records that they led him to the full truth of who Jesus was. That's why I get a little uh, when people are like, God don't use women like he used men. Yes, he does. Because he used Priscilla and Aquila mightily to take this man Apollos and say, look, what you got is good, but it ain't the full story. And it ain't the full truth. And they led him to the full truth. And he eventually began to become one of the most profound teachers in the church. So much so that, I mean, you know, we think like Paul was a G. We're like, Paul was incredible. But yet, uh, series messing with me. Uh, but yet, uh, but, 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 but even as powerful as Paul was, there was some that was like, nah, I prefer Apollos. Why? Because they didn't have a front row seat to the miracles. And what was happening was Jesus wasn't enough. What was happening was Christ wasn't enough. And Paul writes them, and listen to what Paul tells them. Paul starts to tell them this. When did Christ stop being enough? When did Christ stop being enough for you to find fulfillment in your Christian journey? When did it become more important for you to identify with your teacher than to identify with the one who actually hung on a cross for you? That's what Paul was starting to say that. This was the spiritual depravity that had happened in the church. And now I'm getting ready to talk about the sufficiency of Christ. Because when you are immature, when you have not yet grown in your faith, it's not enough just to believe in Christ, but you're looking for something else. If you're taking notes, write this down. If I'm talking, when I say the sufficiency of Christ, I want you to get this. The sufficiency of Christ is believing that what God did through his son Jesus needed no other actions on our part. What God did through his son Jesus needs no other actions on our parts. Now, this is the type of teaching that wrestles with people who demand that you perform in order to be loved by God. 
And that's not what we read in the scriptures. We don't read in the scriptures that it's not enough for Christ to die, but you also have to do all of these things. And so this, when you talk about the sufficiency of Christ, it wrestles with the people who want to get you to perform in order to be saved who want to get you to perform in order to, believe, in order to show that, hey, 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 I'm saved because I, because I perform, because I, I do this, because I, I've added on top of that, and, and because I was able to do all this. Listen to me, Lighthouse Church. No amount of works that you could do in your life will ever save you. There is nothing, there is no performance that you could ever put on that is going to save you. Your righteousness, even on your best day, is not enough to redeem you. We are simply saved by grace through faith. Can I get a good amen? By grace are we saved through faith. And, and, and that's it. And, and that's it. The, the, the challenge is, is that we want more. We, we want to add to it. And the church in Corinth, they had a hard time accepting that Christ alone was enough. No, 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 no. But I got to roll with Apostle. I got to roll with Apollos. No, 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 no. I got to roll with Paul. They needed someone, something in addition to what Christ did in order to feel like, now I'm saved. Now I'm good. And, and, and that really goes against the sufficiency of Christ because the sufficiency of Christ says this. We have faith that Jesus went to the cross and defeated death. He defeated hell. He defeated the grave. He took captivity captive. And we believe that he became the atonement for our sins. Clap your hands if you agree. That's the good news. That, that, that's the gospel. If, write this down. The good news of the gospel is this. There's nothing, that I, there's nothing that I can do to earn it. All I have to do, now watch this, is receive it. Yeah. Did you catch that? There's nothing that I can do to earn it. I can only receive it. Because some of you are like, you pastor, so, so there's really nothing that I have to do? Do? No. Receive? Yes. Big difference, right? It, it, do? No. Receive? Yes. There's a lot of things. All the parents in the room, I'm coming right up your alley. There's a lot of things our kids receive that they did not earn. Amen? amen. Can I get a better amen? amen? My little son came home. He was a fireball per use. And, uh, <laughs> but I had ordered him something on Amazon about a week ago, you know? And so we came home because actually he was kind of acting up. And in that moment, did he deserve what I ordered him on Amazon? No but I'm a good, good father. <laughs> and so all he had to do was receive something. It wasn't anything that I made him earn. It was simple as receive. Did he do anything? No, 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 no. He just had to receive it. And he received it so well, he wore it to church today. It's on his wrist. It's neither here nor there. Um, but the tribalization of the church in Corinth, okay, let's come back to this. The tribalization of the church in Corinth had them jockeying for position and trying to lift themselves up another rung in the ladder. And that's what religion does. That's what religion does. It was manifested in who their teacher was. And no, no, we're better. No, we're better. We got Paul. No, we got Apollos. But it was this, can I do something else to make me more special? Can I do something else to make me more righteous? Can I do something else to make me more loved? You see, this is a type of behavior. This is a type of attitude that continues to permeate the church. I mean, I know growing up in my own personal experience, there were some times that I felt so bad that I didn't pray enough as if God would love me less because I didn't pray enough. 
Remember, we had a youth group that we were on fire. Come on. How many of y'all know what I'm talking about when I use that language in the church? You know what I mean? We had a youth group that was on fire. We were a praying youth group, but I remember every time, like, like we had curfew. We had to go home, and, you know, some parents would let their kids pray up until, like, midnight, one in the morning, but it was a school night. And I remember we'd get up to go, and the guy leading the prayer, he'd be like, if you need to leave and can't seek the face of God. I'd be like, brother, I just got to go to, ch- I just gotta go to school tomorrow. Back off, you know. It, but, but it was like this, this, you're not doing enough. You, you got to work harder. You got to do more on your part. If you don't do this, then God won't. What is that? What, what is that performance-based relationship with God that what he did on the cross wasn't enough? I have to help him. Come on, what version of God do you serve that he needs your help? I don't know about you, but there's nothing that I can do to help God. God don't need no help. He just invites me into this journey. I get to be a part of what God is doing here on this earth. But how many know that he still qualifies crooked sticks in order to draw straight lines? How many know that God still calls the unqualified? How many know that God will still use broken people to bring healing to those that are hurting? That's what God still does. That's what God still does. And this is what was happening as they became tribal. And you might be saying, well, Pastor Josh, that's great for the Church of Corinth, but it's a Sunday morning, and what in the world does that have to do with me? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're a lot more tribal than we would lead ourselves to believe. I think we are a lot more tribal if we would be honest to ourselves with ourselves. Don't believe me? Let's just go back all the way to the year 2020 and see how the church behaved. <laughs> how did the church behave in 2020? We were dealing with all kinds of pressure as pastors. Some people were saying, pastor, don't close the church. Faith over fear. Don't let the government tell you you can't have church. Then you had other people that were like, no, 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 pastor. We need to submit and pray for the authorities. That's what Paul tells us to do in the book of Romans. Tribal, right? You had one group that was like, we ain't closing. If you close, you're not full of spirit. And you have other people that are like, man, if you, if you don't close, you're not full of wisdom. Tribal, right? then you would get people that would say things like, like, you know, you got one group saying the vaccine, don't get it, man. That, that, they're just one step away from the mark of the beast. Don't be getting that vaccine. Guy. <laughs> and you got other people say, but if I get vaccinated, that's how I show my neighbor that I love them. And Jesus would get vaccinated. <laughs> you, you, tribalism, tribalism. Some people are like, like this mask is a muzzle. And, I'm not worshiping with, I can't worship with my mask on. Then you got other people that are like, nah, this mask is how I empathize with my community. What is that? Tribalism. And it's in the church. That was actually all of 2020. Do you know how stressed out me and Joanna were? Some of y'all be calling us open. Some of you are like, don't do outdoor service. Like, what do we do? I don't know what to do, but you guys are pulling us in two different directions. We get so tribalized. Now, I, I make light of those actually very serious issues. I make a lot of it, but those are very extremely serious issues. And, and even as I look at the stage right now, there's some of you that are wearing a mask and some of you that aren't wearing a mask. But can I tell you that I just love your response, Lighthouse Church, that you said wherever you are at, we are going to love you. We are going to honor you. We are going to respect you. Give yourselves a round of applause. Y'all behave like adults. I love that. But, but, but here's, here's my big concern. Write this thing down. The tribalization of the church will defeat the advancement of the church much faster than the enemy will. The tribalization of the church will defeat the advancement of the church much faster than the enemy will. 
do we do we have a very real enemy? Absolutely. But sometimes I wonder if the church is going to implode before the devil even has to do anything to the church. Yeah, I know Jesus said the gates of hell will not <laughs> prevail against the church. But sometimes I'm like, but you Christians are doing a good job of prevailing. I tell you that much stuff y'all fight over the positions that we take and, and and tribalization causes us to move away from our sufficiency in Christ and align our hearts, not just around with God. Watch this now. What happens is when Christ isn't enough, when we move away from the sufficiency of Christ, we don't just align our hearts with God, but we align our hearts with God and people who vote like me. I align my hearts with God and people who have my same views on social justice. I align my hearts with, with God and people who look at racial equality the way I do or the way people look at denominationalism the way that I do or the people that look at salvation the way that I do. We put all these qualifiers in place to who we will love. We put all these qualifiers in place to who we choose to demonstrate the love of God to. And that list, I, again, I'm just, I'm just throwing things out there. But when I talk about tribalization, when I talk about tri being tribal in the church and the dangers that it poses, it's us adding any other qualifier to the people that we will love, people that are made in the image of God. Oh, it's not enough that, that they believe in God. They also have to vote like me. They have to look like me. They have to come from my socioeconomic status. Tribalism, that's a tribal behavior. You, you, you'll only love those that love God. And when did it just stop just being, you know what? They love God. And God loves them. And because God loves them, I'm going to love them. Because they're made in the image of God, that's enough for me to love on them. Because I know that God has a plan and a hope and a purpose for their life, that's enough for me. I'm going to love on that person simply because they're a child of God. Is that enough to love on someone? I think it is. I think that's plenty of a reason to say, you know what? I'm going to love you because God loves you. And because God loves you, why would I not love you? Now, let me, let me bring this home now as we talk about increase. Because Paul gives all this warning. He's like, we're tribal. You're, you're aligning by a person. When did God stop being enough? And he uses this word here. He said, I planted Apollos water. But then he says, but it was God who gave the increase. Increase comes from the Greek word oxana. Let's get it up on the slides. And that is used here in this verse in the context of inward growth of the Christian believer. Paul said it this way. I planted, Apollos watered, but it's God who causes the inward growth of a person. It, it's God who causes you to grow inwardly. Said differently, if there is no inward growth, God's not in it. If there is no increase, where is God? Because God causes things to grow. In, in their desire to so align with Paul and Apollos, they actually left God out of it. The dangers of tribalism. In, in their desire to add to what? And then this is, th this is the danger of legalism. At one point you say, well, I'm being obedient. I'm being obedient. A few years down the road, all of a sudden, you think that because you look a certain way, you're saved and God's no longer in the building. Because what starts outwardly takes over and you're no longer looking for the inward change. And Paul says, where's the inward change? Paul is saying, where is the growth? Where is the inward advancement? Where is the mark of God working in your life? Where's, where's the mark of God working? Where's the change? 
Where, where, where is the hand of God molding you more in his image? And this is what Paul was after. And it's always been this way, right? Man has always looked on the outside, but where has God always looked? Inside. God has always been looking at the inside. Always. He's always been more concerned with the inward. I had this thought, I wrote it down. Inward change demands more of you than outward change. Inward change demands more of you than outward change. Outward change, you can look the part. You can dress the part. When I think of dressing up, I think about my boys. They save every single one of their costumes that we've ever bought them throughout the years, and they come out at the most random times, at the most random times. I think we were celebrating Mother's Day, and all of a sudden, Miles Morales made an appearance, and it was Jackson. Just like. <laughs> as funny as an example it is, sometimes we put on a costume, and we believe we're the person, and that's dangerous when it comes to legalism. We, we, we look the part, and all of a sudden, not only have we fooled everyone else, but we start to fool ourselves thinking we're okay. I'm okay because I look good. I'm okay because I look the part. I'm okay because I put this thing on. And inwardly, is there change inwardly? Are you being made in the image of God inwardly? Are things changing? This is increase, guys. This is, this is what Paul said when he said, but God gives increase. God wants to change you inwardly. This is my last thing, and I'm coming to a close. Write this down if you're taking notes. Outward change that was caused by inward change is lasting change. Outward change that was caused by inward change is lasting change. Because listen, this is, this, is what I, this is the place that I'm not trying to lead you to. I'm not trying to lead you to this place where your personal devotions or convictions don't matter. That's not where I'm trying to lead you. And please don't take that as my heart. You do what God leads you to do. You do everything that God is putting in your heart to do. You carry any conviction in your life that God wants you to carry. But do you want to know what legalism is? It's taking what God whispers for you to do and shouting it for other people, telling them they need to do the same. No, that was God telling you to do that. So you do everything that God tells you to do, but that's what you call inward change. I loved how a couple of weeks ago, my cousin Stephen came up here and he shared his story. It actually helped a lot of you. I talked to a lot of people afterwards that were like, Okay, I get it now, where he talked about that he wanted to get baptized, but he had this habit that he felt like, unless I give up this habit, then I'm not worthy to get baptized. And it was a conversation saying, look, man, even on our best days, we're not worthy. And he shared the story of how he said, okay, I'm just going to go with it. I'm just going to get God. And when I get God, he's going to take care of the rest. And God broke the addiction off of his life because he didn't focus on the addiction. He focused on God. He focused on the obedience. Listen to me, Lighthouse. I'm closing with this. When you grow inwardly, and you're wondering, Pastor Josh, what? give me some handles. What, what, what do you mean by growing inwardly? I, I would tell you, I would start off by adding quiet time to your day when it's just you and God. Put the phone away, put social media away, lock the kids up. No, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but find a chance for you to peel away and be alone with God. I'm big on mornings. You've been at this church in the last two years. You've heard me say this over and over again. Win your morning and you'll win your day. I mean, just win that morning. Get up. 
Oh, Pastor Josh, I, I, when I get up, I got to go. Set your alarm clock for 30 minutes earlier. Wake up, serve yourself some coffee, open up your Bible, and start to I read. Where do I start? Matthew. <laughs> and what else you need? <laughs> it's like, just start in Matthew. Do, do me a favor. Don't start in Revelation or Genesis. Just, you'll thank me later, okay? See me like, I'm reading the cool book, Revelation. And you're like, lost. What are these four-headed beasts? Don't read that book yet. You ain't ready for that, okay? It's like giving a driver's license to a child. Um, spend some time with him. Watch what God does when you just spend time with him. It's just that simple. Get in your word. Read a devotion. I don't know how to pray. pray. Did you know that you can find prayers online that you can read and just until you just make them your own? Spend some time. That's in where change. Don't. Don't spend so much time. Hear my heart, because some habits are absolutely destructive. But some of those annoying habits, don't, don't worry about them. Just worry about the inward and let the inward take care of the outward. I, I, I wish I would have learned this earlier because I was told to take care of the outward and the inward. Well, God bless you. you know. But it's like, no, no. Inward. You and God. Time with him. Growing together with him. You know that you are moving forward. And as you move forward, God's going to begin to align all those things on the outside. And again, do everything. Do everything God is telling you to do. Whatever that is, whatever that looks like, we will never judge your personal conviction that God leads you to, ever. That ain't it, family. That ain't it. But, but that's what God is concerned with most. When I think about getting that inward right and, and really focused on that, I got this flashback of my childhood home. My parents owned the house on Eagle Peak Court for some 27 years. It was pretty much the house that all of my formative years were spent in. And uh, my dad's always liked older homes, um, much to my mom's chagrin. She wanted a newer home, and somehow they always end up with older homes. My dad loves older homes. He says they have charm. They have character. Whatever. They got bad plumbing, too. But anyway, uh, my dad's always been after these older homes. And uh, so my dad bought this house in the 80s. And um, it was a house with that 1970s stucco. How many remember that 1970s stucco? I mean, that, that stuff was thick. Some of the young people in the room have no idea. But that, that you know, it's just thick, you know? <laughs> and uh, so, we, you know, it was my dad's dream home. Got this house with the thick stucco and uh, lived there for 27 years. But what my parents were great about doing is they remodeled the inside of that house in 27 years, like twice, like major remodels. I remember, I remember when it was like the early 90s and they said, we're going with whitewash kitchen cabinets. Any parents remember the whitewash look of the, I about the 80s, you know, like that Miami Vice look, you know what I'm saying? White, <laughs> whitewash cabinets. So we did that. And I remember like people would walk in like, oh my God, your house on the outside, it kind of looked old, but I go inside, it's so modern, it's so contemporary, it's so awesome. And then it didn't stop there, they did it again. I remember, um, actually I remember I had just recently gotten married and my parents were like, we're doing another remodel. And they were like ripping up the floors, putting down nice travertine and, and they, 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 they painted over all the old whitewash because now it was like the dark cherry. I remember the cherry wood of the early 2000s dark homes man the darker the homes it was like the more modern it was and so and my parents put all this money into remodeling the inside of the house and I remember that same thing people would come to the house they'd be like cool then they go inside wow you know the inside of your house doesn't look like the outside this wasn't what I was expecting because my dad did a great job of making sure that the inside of the house always looked so modern outside he loved that stucco boy he loved that stucco never changed never changed and um, I think of that. 
don't know, I get this, this illustration. Guys, focus on what's inside. We got to get our hearts right. We got to get our minds right. We got to get our souls right. I've personally ran at a, I'm closing with this. I have personally ran at a neck breaking pace for the last month. And I knew it was a season, but it's been wearing out my relationship with my wife. Kind of puts me short tempered with my kids. And finally, about a week ago, that pace came to a halt. And it had to do with, you know, work and moves and all of that stuff that's going on. Not you guys. Y'all are easy, but like like other stuff that I've got to do in life. You know what I'm saying? This is fun. How many of y'all having fun here at Lighthouse Church North County? Having a blast up here. But there's other stuff that just, there's just other pressures and weight that I had to carry that was very difficult. That It's like managing this and managing that. And in the process, like my soul was like not good. Listen, Lighthouse, you got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of you. No one else is going to take care of you for you. And so I, now it's like, yeah, I got this planner, y'all. You got to get on that sucker because if you ain't get on that planner, it ain't happening. I, I've learned not to allow the urgent things to get in the way of the important things. There's, there's some days, there's a day, it's called a Sabbath. Y'all realize that the Sabbath was one of the original Ten Commandments? You might be saying, Pastor Josh, we don't follow the, we don't follow the Ten Commandments. We're under grace. I know that, but you're not exactly killing people either, okay? That's a commandment, all right? So there's some commandments that they're still good to hold on to in principle. Sabbath is one of them. And so there's one day a week. I wasn't respecting it for about a month, but I'm back on it. One day a week, don't you call me with the church issue because you ain't going to hear from me. There's just one day a week where I have to not do church. I just can't do church. I, I'll do other things, but I just can't do church. What is that? That's taking care of my inside. That's taking care of my inward. Listen, guys, God wants your inward to be well, okay? There's an increase that he wants to bring. When you are running on empty, tribalism happens. When you are running on empty, legalism starts to happen. When you are running on empty, you will look for all of these other qualifiers because Christ isn't enough. But my prayer for you is that we would rest in the sufficiency of Christ knowing that he paid a price that he didn't owe because I owed a debt that I couldn't pay. He did that. And because he did that, I have new life. Come on, let's stand up on our feet. I want to pray with you. If this message has blessed your life, I want to encourage you to share this message with others or go online to our website and consider making a donation so that we can continue bringing you content just like today's message. God bless you.